Good morning. It's good to see you. Excited to be able to worship together today. Uh, I've got a couple quick announcements for you as, as we get settled in this morning. Um, so first, hopefully as you came in, you, you got a bulletin and uh, there's a little little card with the bulletin as you came in. Uh, that's information for D-NOW. Um, and so you can scan that little QR code on your phone and it's going to take you um, to be able to volunteer or register. Um, all of those different things. You can check out all of that information. And then as well, just in the weeks leading up to D-Now, Taylor has um, prepared some specific prayer emphases going into those weeks. And so this week we're praying for focused minds for our students. As they prepare for D-Now, help them to be focused and prepare for what God has in store for them that weekend. So would you join us in praying um, over the course of the next few weeks for our students in preparation for D-NOW. And then as well, we're going to finalize these plans this week and start getting that, this information out there. But I do want to make you aware, because Easter is right around the corner, and we are excited the Saturday before Easter. Um, so what's that, the 8th, Easter's the 9th. Uh, we're going to be having a community outreach event. Um, we're going to actually be partnered with the Y. <coughs> and so we're excited to partner together with them. And we're actually going to have it uh, down the road at the Y. We're going to be having inflatables, food, fun, all of that stuff. And as well, an Easter egg hunt for kiddos. So here's what we're doing. We're going to ask if you can donate pre-made eggs, and so eggs with candy in them, um, and donate those to the church. We'll have some baskets available in the upcoming weeks that you can donate those. Here's, here's our target. Are you ready for this? Our target is going to be 3,000 eggs. Okay, that's going to be our target. Mike is going to count them all. Where's Mike at? Um, so Mike's going to be sure there's 3,000 there. He's going to count them all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to ask Mike to do that. Uh, I was always told, don't ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. And I would not do that myself. So I'm not going to ask somebody else to do that. Um, and so, but that's our target goal. Uh, we're anticipating a big turnout, especially having it down there at the Y. Um, so we do want to encourage you as in the upcoming weeks um, to donate some pre-made eggs with candy in them as we prepare for that event. Like I said, we're going to get some more information out there this week um, and specific dates and times and all, all of those fun activities. And so, again, so glad you're here. We're excited. Um, this morning, we're actually a little bit different. We, we have a Gideon speaker, Michael DeLoach, and I'm going to invite him to come up. Uh, he's going to take a couple minutes and just share about Gideon ministry. And so if you would, welcome Michael as he comes up this morning. Good morning. I want to ask you a question. Actually, I'm going to ask you four questions very quickly. The first one is almost the first two questions or one question. Who are you and what are you doing here? I guarantee you, you don't have a clue, but I guarantee you one of them wanting to hear some Gideon speak this morning. The second question is, how many of you will or have plans to go to Quito, Ecuador and hand out Bibles to people in Ecuador? Raise your hand. Nobody. Okay. All right. Third question is, why are you a member of the ministry that you are a part of. Now I want to share some things with you because 
In Esther 4.14, Mordecai told Queen Esther, Who knoweth but that thou art come for the kingdom for such a time as this? There are at least two other places where that same question is found. Who are you and what are you doing here? But in Quito, Ecuador, a bunch of Gideons had the opportunity to go to a jail. And these were the words the young man said at the end of the service where he was invited to become a Christian. This young man had on a really nice outfit and to be in jail, he, you know, he, he, he really looked good. And he said, I know this, there is no more terrible a place for you to have come to see me today than this place. But I know there is no better place on earth I could have been this morning because this morning I came to know Jesus. That's what this Gideon ministry is all about. So when you hear this question, who are you and what are you doing here? That's one of the things that comes to my mind. When I asked how many of you would go to Quito, Ecuador and hand out Bibles, back in 2007, there were about 10 or 12 Gideons from across the world who met in Quito, Ecuador, and they met with 10 or 12 other Gideons. And during that one week, they handed out 124,000 copies of God's Word. The Gideons couldn't do that without support from churches like your churches, like your church. And then the third thing is, why are you a member of the ministry that you're a member of? This card right here, and I don't know if y'all have a Gideon display uh, card rack in the back or not, but this, this card here in particular says, in recognition of, this is a per very personal testimony to me. And uh, I taught boys in Sunday school from fifth grade through eighth grade, and then it went to, uh, one young man stayed in my Sunday school class all the way through high school. And every Sunday morning for all those years, he said, pray for my granddad that he would come to know Christ and he would go to church with grandmama on Sunday morning. So when Joseph graduated from high school, I took one of these cards. And the cool thing about these cards is they have a blank page where you can write a personal testimony to whoever you send Bibles in recognition of or in honor of or, or whatever. And so on this card, I wrote, Dear Mr. So-and-so, for eight years, your grandson has requested prayer for you. He's graduating from college, uh, from high school next week. And the greatest gift you could possibly give him is to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and go to church with Grandmama. He is one of the most awesome young men I have ever met in my life. He will have an impact on my life, the rest of my life. And you can change his life as being someone that he got to see Jesus come and bring to him. And about three months after I wrote that card, my little buddy Joseph come running in. Guess what, Mr. D? Guess what, Mr. D? And I said, what? He said, Granddad's going to church this morning. About three years ago, now Joseph is an associate pastor, and Joseph got to preach Granddad's funeral in full awareness that one day he would see Grandpa again in heaven. That's why I'm a Gideon today. So I asked several things. I asked, first of all, that you pray for us. If there's a person in here that needs to be a Gideon, then you need to be a Gideon. But also the money that you give goes to buy Bibles and bring men, women, boys, and girls to Christ. 
a Gideon pays for all of his own way. And thank you for letting me be here today. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And so what we're going to do at the end of worship today, we're going to have, I'll remind you of this at the end, we're going to have some ushers that will be available. And uh, so if you're interested in giving to the Gideon ministry, you can give. We'll collect it. 100% of it is going to go to them. Um, you just specify that it's going to, to Gideon's. And uh, we'll make sure that that goes directly to them um, and, and their ministry and what God is doing through that. With all that being said, let's open up in a word of prayer and worship together. Let's pray. Father God, we do come to you and we give you this time. Thank you for just the report that we've heard from Michael and how you're at work. And so, God, we just pray now, God, that you would be at work in this place. God, would you be big today? And God, would, would you grow in our vision? We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together. Let's stand. Save it. 
that over your family today. Sing that over your life today. Sing that over your finances today. Sing that over your neighbor today. You are keeper as we declare this morning that is the truth you are more than that more than words can even express sometimes Lord we, we can't even get out words that is who you are you are the king of kings you are the lord of lords you reign on how you are here moving today and father God we say thank you Thank you for never leaving our side. Thank you for standing in our place. Lord, you deserve more than just this time of worship. You are so good. We thank you for this time of just proclaiming your truth, of just letting your light shine this morning, Lord. God, continue to have your way. You are here. Have your way in this place this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And everyone said, amen. So glad to see you this morning. Thank you, Quez and the band for leading us in worship. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'm only going to be looking at one prayer. We've been looking at two, and one time we looked at three prayers, and so we should be out early today. But Philippians chapter 1, as you're turning there, just as I kind of shared a little bit last week, just some, some background to Philippians. And we actually, just as we saw last week with Ephesus, we saw, we see in Philippians in the book of Acts, we see the birth of the church at Philippi as well, that Paul answers the Macedonian call and he goes and literally he gets to Philippi and there's not even enough Jewish presence in the city to form a synagogue. So he goes down to the river, and there's a small Jewish Bible study that's going on there at the river. Finds a woman by the name of Lydia, shares the gospel with her. She comes to faith, 
And Lydia is of some means in her life. She's a, the Bible just simply calls her a, a seller of purple goods, purple fabric. It's, it was an expensive type of fabric in the day. And so literally, Lydia's home becomes the base of operations for the church at Philippi. And while Paul is there, he comes across this, this girl who was a slave and is possessed by a demon and literally just berating Paul the entire time he's there. And he finally has enough of it, gets sick of this, this, this girl berating him, so he casts the demon out. Well, this led to some unrest in the city, which then learned, led to Paul being imprisoned. Well, we all know the story. While Paul's in prison, he begins to have a midnight prayer session. And all of a sudden, the prison walls come falling down. But instead of making his escape from the prison, there's a prison guard that's there. And we know based on kind of Roman culture that a prison guard uh, was older, kind of probably washed up a little bit, had seen his glory days in the past. And so now he's just keeping watch over the prison. Well, if a prisoner were to escape from the prison, the Roman soldier would be put to death. And so he figures he would get ahead of the game and go ahead and take his own life. But Paul sees him and shares the gospel with him, and this Roman prisoner or prison guard comes to faith. And so we see the birth of the church of Philippi. We have Lydia who has some means, some decent enough house to host the church in, a teenage girl who was previously demon-possessed, and a washed-up Roman soldier. Talk about the, the A-plus church planning team. But God used that church, and the gospel explodes in Philippi. And when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, there's a fondness and a love that's there. I think it's because he reflects back on that time when the church was born. That it was an unlikely beginning. That if you were to put together a team today and you said, we want to go plant a church over here, probably not your three in your starting lineup to go plant the church. But God uses it. Why? Because God uses unlikely people and unlikely means to achieve his purposes. We go all throughout the scripture and that's exactly what God does. God doesn't use the people that we oftentimes think we would put in that role. But God still achieves his purposes. And so there's a level of fondness and love. And really, Paul's prayer in Philippians deals exactly with that. That Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi is really swelling up out of his love and affection for them so that they would grow in their love and affection. There's really no big issue that Paul's addressing that really Paul is just sharing his appreciation for the church at Philippi. And so if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. <coughs> I'll read through them, and then we'll take notice of a couple of things. So starting at verse 3, Paul says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. 
Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we pray just as we have worshiped, that worship would continue as we break open your word and see what you have for us today. God, we pray that just as we've done, we would pray what Paul prays, that we would grow in our love and our knowledge of you and our love for one another. So God, be with us during this time. Let it be your words and your words alone. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So two things I want us to see this morning. There's really kind of two movements in the text. First is the reason for Paul's prayer. This first chunk of text is really, before Paul even gets into praying, he's really given the reason for his prayer. So going back to verse 3, and four things we take notice of. The reason for Paul's prayer first is Paul's attitude. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So again, going back to those fond memories of seeing God do profound things in Philippi. But then he says, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. When Paul prays, he's not praying out of begrudging submission and obedience. Paul is praying because it's springing from a root of joy in prayer. What would happen in your prayer life and in my prayer life if we did not view prayer as simply a dry obedience, but an act of joy? That's why Paul prays, because it's an act of joy. This is his mindset. It's his attitude when he prays that it is a joyous occasion to pray. Why would Paul do think that? Well, because what is prayer? We're simply going before the sovereign creator of the universe who desires to hear from us, desires to have relationship with us, desires intimacy with us. We're simply going to him. Is that something we should carry joy over? That when there's a need of prayer and someone has a prayer request or a prayer need, instead of looking at it as something to check off, that my brother or sister in the faith has come to me and said, hey, would you mind taking time out of your day to go before the sovereign Lord of the universe to make this petition? What if that was my mindset when I look at the prayer list? instead of just a list of names and requests. But rather, I have this 
privilege as a son or a daughter of God that I have this access to the sovereign creator of the universe. Well, if that was what mine said in prayer. Because we, 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 you, you may know, anytime you, you have a friend or a family member that's got, you know, some level of influence and power, there's always going to be those people that want access to that. I, I, of course, uh, y'all know I played college football and I've got good friends and buddies who are now college coaches. And all of a sudden there will be people that will come out of the woodwork that know that they're looking for a scholarship for their child. And all of a sudden, I have to tell them their child is not as good as they think their child is. It's not a fun conversation to have. But then there will be every now and then, I think your kid may have what it takes. It's all make the phone call to the college coach. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Why? Because there's some access there to somebody of influence. You may know a police officer and all of a sudden you got a buddy that's got a speeding, a speeding ticket. You get in that phone call. Is there something you can do about this speeding ticket? Not really. I'm not the police officer. But you know somebody. And as sons and daughters of God, we know somebody. We've been given access to somebody. We've been given the privilege as a child of the king to come before the king. That should be a joyous occasion, not a begrudging obedience. Oh, I got to pray today. I've got a prayer list a mile long. What if it was a joyous expression of our gratitude of being a son or daughter of the king? Oh, you need prayer? Let me, I will be more than happy to pray for you. I was wanting to go talk to him anyway, but I can bring this up too. What if that was our mindset? What if that was our attitude when it comes to prayer? This is Paul's mindset, Paul's attitude as he begins to pray. But he continues, and we move from Paul's attitude to Paul's association. And so, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You've heard me talk about the term that's used here for partnership. It's koinonia. It's fellowship. And what is fellowship? Fellowship is not simply that we gather together and we have a potluck on Sunday. That's not fellowship. But fellowship is being rooted and aimed in the same direction and in the same mission. That's fellowship. What gives us fellowship as a church is not having the same preferences or personalities. That's not what our fellowship is rooted and grounded in. But what gives us fellowship as a church is that our mission is the same. 
And what makes a church beautiful is when the church is in fellowship, not because of preferences or personalities, but when a church is in fellowship, even when those things are drastically different. Why? Because it's not about preference and personality, it's about mission. So when Paul talks of his partnership with the church in Philippi, he's talking about a church, him and the church being in fellowship together. Why? Because they have the same mission. They have the same goal. They have the same direction. The proclamation of the gospel is their goal. So why does Paul pray? Because he knows they have the same mission that he does. Not only does he have this joyous attitude, he goes, we're in fellowship together. And because we're in fellowship together, I want to pray for you. I want to lift you up before the Father because of our fellowship, because we're in partnership, because we are going in the same direction. I want to pray for you. So why does Paul pray? Because it's his attitude, it's a joyous occasion because of his association that they are in fellowship together. But not only that, we, Paul has assurance. Because he says, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why does he pray for the church of Philippi? Because he knows it will not fall on deaf ears. Because he knows the ears that it will fall on has promised to see those believers through. That he who began the good work will finish it. We saw that we, we didn't read it last week. I absolutely love Ephesians, Ephesians 1, I think it's about verse 14. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit being the earnest or the down payment of your inheritance. Beautiful Greek word, arabon, beautiful word, I love it. And the concept we still have today, so just praise the Lord, Whit and I, we closed on our house on Friday, so we are officially Georgia homeowners. Um, we're, what, what's the word, Lulurians? Lulurians, something like that. But to start that process, what we had to do when we found the house we wanted, we found the house we liked, we had to put down earnest money. And basically what the earnest money is, is that I am serious enough about purchasing this house that I want to enter into this contract with you. So here's the money down that's saying, I'm going to see this process through to the end. And if I don't see this process through to the end, I lose the earnest money. So consider the theological ramifications of that. When Paul talks of the Holy Spirit being the earnest of our salvation, the earnest of our inheritance, what is God doing? I am giving you the Holy Spirit so that I, as the proof or the evidence that I am going to finish what I started. So what does that mean? For God to lose one of his would mean that he would lose the Holy Spirit. And so what would happen? 
So in order for you or I to lose our salvation, in order for God to not finish the work that he started, would mean the loss of the Holy Spirit in the earnest, can I tell you, creation would implode upon itself before that happened. And so why is Paul sure of this? That he who began a good work is going to finish it. So how can you and I pray for one another? That we have assurance that the God that we are praying to hears us. We have access to him. But not only that, he is faithful to see you through. That it will not fall on deaf ears, nor will it fall on ears incapable of acting. So when I go to pray, and I pray, I always pick on Nelson. Nelson's fun to pick on. I go to God in prayer, and I want to pray for Nelson. I pray for Nelson, not because I have any power in and of myself, but I pray for Nelson knowing that the God who began a good work in Nelson's life is faithful to finish the good work. Now, I'm not wondering whether or not God's going to finish his work in Nelson's life. Do you think that should encourage us in prayer a little bit? That the God who began the good work will finish what he started. So Paul's attitude, Paul's association, Paul's assurance. But then lastly, we see Paul's affection. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Do you hear the affection coming from Paul's mouth here? I hold you in heart. Why? Because you're partakers with me of grace. That you've experienced the same grace that I have experienced. The same grace that changed my life has changed your life. We're both partakers in this grace. So I hold you in my heart. And he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's affectionate for them. Notice this. Paul's writing this from a Roman prison, and yet he's still affectionate towards them. The brothers and sisters in the faith, the difficult season of life should not keep us from sharing our affection for one another. Paul is the prime example of this. Because what is oftentimes our first reaction? We go through a dark season, we go through a difficult season. What do we want to do? Withdraw and throw the shell up. Paul would have had every reason sitting there in a Roman prison to go, you know what? I don't want to share this with Philippi. But no, he's still pressed in to share his affection for the church. That even sitting in prison, he wanted the church to know how much he cared for them. But also probably because Paul also had in the back of his mind when he was at Philippi, there was another prison incident. And God's faithfulness was evident then. And he knows God's faithfulness can be evident now. So he's affectionate for them. But he continues on this. 
He says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. How I desire you, how I yearn for you. With what affection? That not only should, when we think of prayer and praying for one another, should it be an attitude coming out of joy? Should it, should it be an, uh, an attitude coming out of joy, our, our association, our fellowship, rooted in the assurance of God's promise? But church, it should also just flow out of affection for one another. That what if we genuinely prayed for one another out of our love for one another? That if I love you, I go before the Father for you out of my love and my affection. That these are the reasons that Paul prays. So before we even get to the prayer, Paul has outlined why he is praying for the church at Philippi. And I believe you and I should echo the same reasons today. That when you and I pray, we pray for the same reasons. So we've seen Paul's reason for prayer or reasons for prayer. But then second, moving into the prayer, we see the request of Paul's prayer. The request of Paul's prayer going into verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What is Paul praying for? For growth in their love. He's not saying their love is lacking by any means. But that their love would abound over the top, out of the river, out of the cup, flowing over. Abound more and more. Here's the reality, church. There will never be a time where we think we have achieved the proper level of love for one another or love for God. There will always be areas that we can grow in our love for God and our love for one another. And so Paul's praying that they would grow, that their love would abound more and more. But not only that, he frames it. He says that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I like what one commentary I read this week said, the distinction between this, that knowledge is knowing what is right, but discernment is knowing what is best. So how does Paul frame this prayer for love, that love would grow, that love would abound over the top, flowing over the rim? In knowledge and discernment and knowing what is right, knowing what is best. That as my love for God grows, I grow in knowing what is right, knowing what is best in my pursuit of God. But only that as my love for others grows, I grow in knowing what is right and what is best in loving others. So he's praying that their love would grow. Their love would abound in this. So this is his request to God. 
But then in the last two verses, he gives the result of this love. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Approve what is excellent. <laughs> Quite literally, it means to test what is valuable. That as we grow in Christ, as our love grows, we are able to see what is truly valuable, what is truly important, what is truly meaningful as we grow in our love for God and our love for others. So approve what is excellent. But then not only that, he continues and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To be pure and blameless is a growth in holiness. That as I grow in the sanctification process, as I'm growing to look more and more like Christ, I'm growing in this. And notice that's not separated. That's flowing from growing in love. It's not separated from growing in love. That growing to look more and more like Christ, to be pure and blameless, means growing in love, not lessening in love. Because as I love God more, I'm going to look more like him. As I love people more, I'm going to look more like him. Sanctification is not separated from love, but is vital in the process. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So not only does he pray that they would know what is valuable and grow in holiness, but that they would be filled with fruit. All of this stemming from a growth in love. All of this stemming from a love abounding more and more that they would be filled with fruit of righteousness. So this is what Paul prays for. And again, he's praying for this out of his love and his affection for the church at Philippi. And so this brings us this morning to our central idea. And it's this, that effectual prayer for spiritual growth is rooted in our understanding of God and our love for others. Really simple idea this morning. I'll be honest, I wrestled with this text this week because it's a rather simple, straightforward text. There's really nothing complex in the text. There's really no difficult parsing of Greek verbs or theological concepts at play. We just simply see Paul in his love for the church, praying for the church, that the church would grow in their love. Not overly complex, is it? But incredibly difficult to do. Incredibly difficult to do. Why? Because Part of it requires me to pray this for myself. That how can I sit here and go, God, I want you to increase so-and-so's love for you and love others. 
because it then requires me to step back and go, well, okay, God, how am I loving you and loving others? That's when the gut check comes in. Because first and foremost, I've got to pray those same things for myself. I've got to pray those same things for myself. How am I loving God? How am I loving others? How am I knowing what is valuable or meaningful? How am I growing in holiness? How is my fruit doing? And then once I've dealt with that, then I can then turn and pray that for others. So as we close and the band comes back to the stage this morning, As I said, I know it's a, it's a really simple thought. Nothing overly complex or difficult. But making a practice of it is. But church, I just can't help but wonder. What would happen in the life of a church that took Paul's prayer here seriously and said, you know what? We're going to be intentional about praying the same thing that Paul prayed. And that we said, God, let our prayer be rooted in our joy. Let, let it be rooted in our fellowship. Let it be rooted in your promise. Let it be rooted in our affection. And we just as a church said, God, we pray as a church that our love would abound more and more. That every single time we think we've reached the level of love or we finally got it, we get it, it's a check mark off the box, we realize how much more we can love you and love others. But God, not, not only that, would you help us to grow and holiness. Help us to be a, a church that grows in fruit. Help us to know as a church what is valuable and meaningful. What if as a church we prayed for that? How might God be at work in a church that prays to that end. So would you join me today in praying to that end? In just a moment, Quez and the band's gonna lead us in time of response. I just wanna invite you to pray. You can pray where you're seated, or if you wanna come to this altar and pray, you, you're more than welcome, can if you if you need Somebody to pray with, Clint and Mike will be over here. I'll be standing over here. But let's be a church that prays what Paul prays. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and we thank you and give you praise, honor, and glory. God, we pray now, just as we've heard your word, read your word, God, would you speak to us? God, help us to be a church that loves you and loves others and is abounding in that 
growing in who you've called us to be. And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and respond today? So, so good to see you today. Um, just as I mentioned at the beginning of worship, uh, appreciate Michael being with us and sharing about the Gideon ministry. So glad to have you here. Uh, thank you for what, what you do. Uh, I'm going to ask Michael Hill to join me in the foyer. We have some ushers set up. If you're interested in giving to Gideon ministry, you're more than welcome to give to that today. And uh, we'll be sure that that gets to them. Um, so as, as they are getting set up, um, one, one other quick quick thing, um, of course, as you know, we've, we're so excited to have Quez Jeter leading us the past couple of Sundays. And uh, one of the things, and I've shared this with our finance team and our, our deacon ministry as well, 
Um, coming here, as we, as we all know, we are uh, in, in need of some leadership and direction in the worship ministry. And so one of the things as we are transitioning and getting settled in, one of the things I proposed to them was to bring on an interim worship pastor. Um, for, for a little while while we get settled in and start to learn the lay of the land. And uh, Quez quickly became on my radar through a series of conversations, and I've absolutely loved getting to know Quez and spending some time with him. And so one of the things that I proposed to our finance team and our deacons was to bring Quez on as our interim worship pastor, and this will allow us to get here, get settled, um, and then start the process. And this does not eliminate Quez from stepping into that role long term and dropping that, but it will allow us some stability and some consistency in our worship ministry. And so I just want to ask Quez if he had anything he wanted to share with the church. Um. Yeah, I am super thankful to be here and to step into this position with, with you guys. Um, I just ask that you just pray with me and pray for me um, as I go into this um, role. And if you need me, I am here. Please reach out. If you would love to get up here and worship with us, please feel free to let me know. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Quez. And so one of the things we want to do if, uh, with, with bylaws is it's, it's not required to take a church vote, but we do want to just ask for your affirmation in this decision. And so if, if you affirm Quez in this decision, would you please let us know by just sharing a round of applause for, for Quez and how the Lord's going to work. Amen. And so Quez, I want to ask you if you'll come stand right down here. We want to take a moment and just pray over you as you step into this new season of ministry. And we'll ask anyone that is willing to come and join us down here. And this will be our dismissal. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity to worship you and make much of you. And God, we pray that you were honored and glorified by our time together. And God, that we were edified. And God, we pray now for Quez. Thank you for his heart. God, thank you for leading us here, him here to airline. And God, we pray as he steps into this ministry, God, that God, not only would he lead worship, but he would be our lead worshiper. God, that as we gather together Sunday after Sunday, God, he would lead himself and the band to worship an audience of one. And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Give him the courage and strength to lead as he steps in here. And God, week in and week out, we love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You are dismissed.